Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me, as always, Nathan Bartleball. Nathan, what is going on, man? Hey, not much. We're in the run-up to the holidays, and uh, it's been a while since we've talked. It has, yeah. I think the last time we recorded was The Mandalorian. Uh, the first two episodes for Season 2 had just dropped, so we were giving our preliminary thoughts on that and then uh, we said we were going to go ahead and do one for the final when it when it all came out and in order to help us with that we got a special guest to join us zach bartle zach man it has been a long time since we've talked with you how are you dude i'm doing very well uh i have a question for nathan bartlebaugh um, yes can you see i know we can't see you because you're you're hideous now uh the quarantine <laughs> has torn you apart but can you see nathan I can, yes. Now, do you think when he just like put both of his hands on top of his head for a minute, do you think that was like a like a flex, like a like a like a power move to make us feel inferior? I'm not sure us what that guns? was. It looked like one flash frame from the Macarena. I'm not sure what was happening there. Hey, Macarena. I feel I like we could take what. a lot of still shots and make a fun video out of that. This is this is setting me up for great disappointment, but I am going to be a little bit bummed if at some point Dutcher doesn't come in going, ho, 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 play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like that's not going to happen. I feel like it also is not However, gonna happen, he but... doesn't show up to many of the ones he's invited to, so to show up to one he's not invited to would that be would probably be par epic. for the course. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Zach, oh, man, it has been, been well. a while, and uh, you have been up to some uh, some crazy cool projects going on uh, over there at One Gut Check Press. Tell us all about those. Oh, man. Well, I think since we've talked, the Re-Rapture Omnibus has come out, which is the entirety of the Re-Raptured saga in one big book. It can be purchased on Amazon. You have to put the colon between re and rapture or it won't find it. <laughs> Even if you write like everything, you know, you can write like half the text of the book, but if you don't have that colon there, it won't find it. <laughs> but the thing I've been doing lately is a mini series podcast called Give Sin a Body Bag. Um, and it is basically a uh, cross between a parody of the gospel according to fill in the blank type stuff mm-hmm. and a non parody. Uh, podcast about mortification of the flesh and mm-hmm. what the scriptures had to say about it and mostly what the Puritans and Spurgeon uh, and kind of the tradition that I find myself in have to say about it and how you can apply the sort of strike first, strike hard, no mercy way of the fist to um, killing your sin and how most evangelicals, especially in America, are kind of a Daniel LaRusso, spiritually speaking, where they're like, come on, man. <laughs> but what we need to be is a freaking Johnny Lawrence, where you just like grab it by the face and say you would, couldn't leave well enough alone and then just beat it down. <laughs> nice. so that's, you can find that on uh, anywhere, Stitcher, Spotify, CastBox, iTunes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. And I'll, uh, I'll make sure that I put the link um – for that uh, up here, so that way we can we'll have a, a jump off point for people on on our Facebook and Twitter page as well. So, and actually, Zach, I think you still have access to our Facebook and Twitter stuff, so you can still feel free to post, you know, whatever you want. I mean, it actually might I don't help know if us. You've since... Noticed, but I have been doing that. Like maybe <laughs> once every five weeks, I'll just uh, I'll just be like, eh, why don't I also just share my own thing on these go to eleven, see if the passwords changed yet. Yeah, it, it totally hasn't. So just just keep doing that, man. You're all good. <laughs> I think it's the same password from like 
like the original when when Rick and Dutcher <laughs> was the, the host. I'm sure it was. <laughs> oh man, I'm sure it is. Uh, I get so lazy with that stuff. But uh, yeah, definitely it's check okay. out. You're not like hiding the nuclear code, so that's right. It is a little more important when other people use just their name in the year, you know. <laughs> oh man! Well, not that there isn't both the name of the podcast and a year <laughs> in, in the Twitter password, <laughs> right? You would still, even knowing that, you probably wouldn't be able to guess because it's it's a really weird combination, combination of, of it. Yeah. You forget the colon, you're done. <laughs> right. The colon, always important. Right. Yeah, Inside you don't wanna... and outside the body. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Well, we are here to talk about The Mandalorian. And, Zach, you missed the uh, the last one that Nathan and I did about The Mandalorian. <laughs> Um, you hadn't quite jumped on the Disney Plus bandwagon yet. And so uh, I just want to hear your initial thoughts about season one before we jump into season two and start talking about that. Um, I mean, I don't know that I have much to add. I did hear your discussion on it. I, I mean, I think um, it was better than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And it had a nice kind of balance between fan service because i'm not a huge star wars guy and i was afraid i was going to jump in here and be like i can tell i'm supposed to be psyched about a bunch of stuff but i don't know you know the novels in between and like the i don't even i haven't even seen much of clone wars or rebels or anything so i was glad to see that like a basic knowledge of mandalorian or of of star wars mythos was all that was required and then i could tell and i sometimes even caught some little bit deeper things um and as it got into season two here I feel like they may have either they happened to delve deeper into just stuff I understood and could follow or they delved deeper across the board and I only appreciated a certain percentage of it. But, man, there were so many goosebumps moments so far. Yeah. Um, what One thing I love, obviously, is uh, Baby Yoda or Grogu, is, as like three people now call him. Right. Um <laughs> And there's something there's something in that first season. Obviously, I love that it's a western. I love mm-hmm. that everything from the the uh, clothing, you know, and the soundtrack, the wardrobe, everything about it was, and and the the framing, the episodic framing of of the episodes. It was just it was a classic spaghetti western serial type thing. And then I absolutely love that balance of like. Um, I'm here as just an absolute, uh, you know, what's the Christian word for like badass, like, you know, uh, like a Cobra Kai right. uh, to just like destroy the enemy and this kind of tenderness of having to protect this small, helpless, well, not exactly helpless, but, you know, right. small and vulnerable thing. Um, and, you know, I think that always works. I've seen it done in so many different settings. It always works. It's yours to lose. You know, it, yeah. it's hard to mess that up. And they did a great job with it. So, yeah, I thought season one, uh, all, the only complaint I had was that it was too short and I had to wait too long for the second season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, agreed. And I think, um, you know, we had talked about it. It just – it really did um, – you know, where we were coming into, uh, at that point, coming into the rise of Skywalker, um, just hit a lot of notes that worked well with, um, you know, this is where the series, the, the movies had gone and then they come in and bring this series in fresh, 
um, you know, that, that just hit a lot of notes and, and not only, you know, giving, um, some of that service and background to the original star Wars, but just hit a lot of the feeling you got with that original star Wars, uh, saga that came out. And so, um, really enjoyable. And then we come into season two and I remember Nathan and I having discussions, you know, like you really didn't have an expectation when season one came out and then it just blew um, blew us away in what we got with it. And then season two comes out and we're like, how are they going to top this? And they end up just driving it to that next level and bringing it to a point where it's like, oh my gosh, they actually, they took the time to outdo themselves, which was uh, fantastic. And so we're going to uh, obviously talk uh, about that. And so um want to jump in and just start with like, um, you know, Nathan, we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, after finishing all of season two, your, uh, your thoughts on it. And I assume we're in kind of full spoilers, right? I mean, for the whole show, I'm not going to go spoilers. into yes. major. Yes. Do it. Yeah. Uh, I will, I will put the tagline in there. Spoilers abound. <laughs> <laughs> Don't underestimate the power of the dark side. Um, <laughs> But so with season two and, you know, we had discussed the episodes, I think, to about halfway or something like that. And that was probably really before that was before Disney announced their like next 16 Star Wars shows or whatever. Yeah. And you had a lot of the I guess, as, as Zach was kind of saying, like the fan service where they were bringing in characters that we absolutely knew. We had a little bit of that in the first season. It was mostly references, you know, the fact that Baby Yoda slash Grogu is clearly from the same species as Yoda, like it's a kind of a callback without Yoda actually showing up. Yeah. You kind of see, uh, is it just his boots or something that, is, that make us assume initially, okay, maybe Boba Fett's going to return. But this was the season that really did that. I do have to agree with something that Zach had said about the fact that I know Star Wars, but I'm, I haven't read like all the books. And I watched a little bit of the Clone Wars and a little bit more of Rebels with my kids, but I'm not – like, I don't know the difference between a Bo-Katan and Boca Raton, to be perfectly honest. You know, like initially, <laughs> initially off the bat. But what I appreciate about, about the show is that it would take a character like that and you could tell maybe for a split second that I'm supposed to know who she is. But it would do enough quick building that – I mean, I, she's not necessarily one of the characters I think was the best suits served in this series. But I would have enough by the end of the episode to get an idea of what she's trying to do. And, and, and interest enough for her that I can be just as interested as the person who's like maybe waited like, I don't know, ever since the Clone Wars or wherever she came from to see her. I think uh, Ahsoka someone I knew and only more of a general sense because my nephews and then my kids kind of know who she is. And I'd seen her a little bit in the Clone Wars, but I thought that was very well handled when she showed up. So the thing about season two is essentially with season one, you were you had an arc for the Mandalorian in a sense that it was establishing that wolf and cub situation that Zach was just talking about, where you've got the, the, uh, you know, hard edged samurai Ronin kind of character. And then you have the kid who's going to soften him and that happening. And then the storyline did have a structured plot to it. Whereas season two, you could make two statements. And I want to emphasize these are statements, not criticisms that every episode of season two is essentially the same episode. You know, the Mandalorian has eight episodes that are essentially structurally just about the same thing. You know, they go in to get something, they kind of come back out and the Mandalorian doesn't change really at all for the entirety of season two, you know, in terms of who he is and what he's doing and what he's committed to. 
uh, more or less. Now, it seems like that might be on the rise. But the thing I appreciate about that is that sometimes we're where shows get stuck when they go into a second season is this idea that we set up all these things and now we have to add more change. We have to, we have to throw a few new wrenches into the, into the gears. We need to get a couple other things going. And they really did this more by focusing on the star Wars world around the Mandalorian. And it just kind of left him and baby Yoda or Grogu alone. We learned new things about Grogu, but essentially that relationship stays where it was. There's not some new crisis where he decides he doesn't like the kid as much or, you know, something other thing that he needs to do, or he's grieving endlessly over the Mandalorians that died in the first season. He just sort of becomes even more laser focused with that. And sometimes that simplicity works. And that's what happened to this. I think the star Wars uh, last series is it didn't, it, it, it didn't stay simplistic enough that you can appreciate things like that episode where we see that, uh, you know, the marshal from Justified is now a marshal on a planet somewhere, you know, <laughs> yes. and you get to really savor that character or savor when Ahsoka Space does Raylan. show up. Yeah, exactly. And so that having that sparse, like, hey, the same structure we use for episode one is the same structure we use for episode eight, but you don't pay attention to it because it is so rich in other ways. Also, don't you think, Nathan, that's a bit of a hat tip to the inspiration material? I mean, yeah. whether it's Kung Fu or Gunsmoke or what's the what's the old one with the have gun, will travel, that 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 deal? Yeah, Paladin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, like you, you, you drift into town, you have a, a broader quest, but you drift into town, you right some wrongs, you move the, the needle an inch on the bigger thing. I feel like they were pretty self-aware. And they were also very aware of when it started to get just a little old. And right before it got old, they they broke the mold. Hey, that rhymes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Something like we're gonna go full Conan here in the last last episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think too, like, you know, one of the things that we were talking about, Nathan, was the idea that one of the fun things about Star Wars was you got to see new creatures in new places. And I think they kept that standard going with bringing you uh, into these new worlds and letting you experience these new worlds, dropping little hints here and there. So, so where they bring in Ahsoka and you find out at the end that Ahsoka is looking for Admiral Thrawn, who was, who was a larger character in the Rebels series – you know, for for the people who are not necessarily fans going in and knowing all about that, it's kind of a little piece where they're hinting at something greater that could potentially be coming up. And for those who are aware of what's going on, it's like, okay, well, if this is the case and Thrawn's there, then I know that there are some other pieces that are out there as well that they're going to bring in and tie into this series as well. And so, you know, um, as you guys were saying, I think they did a great job at – at bringing and presenting characters that uh, that were contained within the story itself, even though you knew there were greater things going on. And you can go back and look up the importance of some of these characters, um, or you can go back and watch some of the shows, which is what you know I think they're hoping for. If you haven't seen Rebels, I do recommend it. I think... I think Star Wars Rebels is a cut above even the Clone Wars. Um, I think they do a good job with... Uh, you know, furthering the story of the Rebel Alliance in between episodes three and four. And so, you know, there are a lot of things that are referenced and tied into um, the Mandalorian that you can go back and see them in more detail there, but you don't necessarily need it. And, and that is something that I think um, fans 
diehard fans and, and, you know, casual Star Wars fans can absolutely appreciate about this. Um, so let me, uh, let me ask you guys, what was your favorite episode, um, of season two without, uh, and let's kind of say maybe we'll save the last one for last and talk <laughs> about like, okay, that. Right. Um, yeah, but that's other not than, a question. Yeah. Are you asking what our second favorite one yeah, is? Yeah, your because second favorite my episode. My son and I agreed that the best, our favorite episode of television, period, was the finale of season two of yes. Mandalorian. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. And and I think that's a fair point, Zach, because I was I was talking with Joy about this earlier. I really feel like when you look at um, television – and if you were to like remove the the Star Wars and the Star Wars you know knowledge and mythos of the universe from this, this would still be a great piece of television. Um, period. The, you know, not just like oh, this is good for Star Wars. The, the story that they're telling and the way they're unfolding things, I think, is is fantastic for television. Period. Um, you know, whether it's Star Wars or not. And that's something also that I really just appreciate about this. So, yeah. So second favorite uh, episode uh, of um, of The Mandalorian season two, other than the finale. And Zach, go ahead and I'll let you start. My favorite other than the finale was it's it's hard to say. I think I'm going to have to say the one with Oliphant in it. Mm-hmm. Um, both because he's literally in one of my favorite actors mm-hmm. working today. Um, I, I mean, I even love the fourth Die Hard movie because he's the, he's the villain. And (laughs) I mean, it's, he's just, he is so awesome and has such a, like, I mean, you guys watch Deadwood. I mean, good grief. Mm -hmm. That guy's just, he's all presence. Um, and to see him in Boba Fett's armor and go, okay, something's going to happen with this. And you know, what's interesting is as I'm hearing Nathan talk about like how it was like almost like you're reading judges, right? And it's like, yeah. then they rebelled. Then the Lord delivered them into the hand <laughs> right. of these people. And then they cried out to the Lord. And, they, and you're like, okay, I know what's happening. At the same time, they were slowly ramping up because they're building this alliance. Yeah. And they build it slowly until in the last one, we've got freaking Bill Burr back in the mix, who's mm-hmm. incredible. Or it was the second to last one, I guess. Yeah. Um, but we've built this, this like, we've got... Uh, um, that that chick who I, I had a low-key crush on until I found out she was like a WWE wrestler, and then I was like, oh, spell's broken. Um, Dina Carano? Sure. Uh, we've got... Um, <laughs> she has a name. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just don't know it, uh, nor do I know the character name. That's about how much they developed it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, that one. Um, they, but they had uh, Boba Fett come back yes. in, in, in just such a great way um, to... to Team them up with her with the the. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna just reveal that I'm I'm a surface level fan on this stuff. <laughs> the lady he tried to arrest earlier, yeah. that lady, um, and and then we also have you know like the boss battle with Giancarlo Esposito, like mm-hmm. all that like it built so slowly, and you know it kept on promising, and then it it weighed a beat, and then it deliver, and mm-hmm. it did that the whole season. So there was not just like, it didn't feel like you were spinning your wheels, even though it was the same basic plot structure again and again, you were getting traction and going somewhere at the same time. It was masterful storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first, and I think it all began with seeing Oliphant in that armor and going, what the heck is going on here? And then realizing, okay, there's a Sarlacc pit right there. Um, we all kind of know 
that there's this thing out there that that nerds will tell you Boba Fett survived. You know, there's a comic book thing and everything. And sure, you know, he he could have. He's wearing this Beskar or whatever, and, and he he got out, or or Boba Fett got digested and the thing pooped out his armor and it was untarnished because it's made of this stuff. Whatever the case, it piques your interest. It kind of sucks you into this. It, it it feels like it's bigger and older than than it is. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, these movies came out about when I was born. The first one did, right? When it's 78? I was born in 78. 79? 77? Okay. So it was still it was still in the zeitgeist very much. It's probably still showing in some theaters when I when I came into the world. And it feels like we're dealing with something that's generations and generations and generations, if not centuries old. They've done such a good job of being able to show you this basic shape and have you go, ooh, ooh, that's something, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and get really excited about it. And at the end, when the guy who played Boba Fett like sees him and follows after. Yeah. Dude, I was like, I'm high-fiving my son. We were so <laughs> stoked. And and that whole that whole episode of also planting the seed, is he willing to compromise these what you already kind of intrinsically know are cultic um, beliefs about, you know, religious, quasi-religious beliefs about who gets to own the armor, if you get to take off the helmet, all this stuff. And and is he willing to compromise these things for the goal of helping this small child, uh, this little, this little helpless thing. And, and they just give you a little bit of, yeah, he is, he lets him keep the armor And, and, and like, Every and I think you can trace all of those those streams, all those threads back to that that episode, mm-hmm. as well as I think they made an intrinsic promise that we get to see Oliphant in space being space marshal again. Which if we don't, I'm going to be very disappointed. Yeah, I can't imagine we won't. Yeah, but... <laughs> Nathan, well, and the scope, the thing that Zach's getting at, like the mythic quality, was back to Star Wars. And I don't, I don't know that we. I know we've talked in other episodes. I just like slagging on Rise of Skywalker. What did you think of that movie, Zach? I don't know that we've talked to you or ever got your thoughts. Did you see it? Was that the last one? Yeah, I thought it was kind of dope. I liked it. I liked all the new ones. Yeah, I, I know people who didn't like them thought that you know they were kind of purists. I thought that dialogue was good, the action was good, the cinematography was good, and all three of the above were better than the original trilogy as well as the the prequels i i thought what was missing was maybe uh a hero's journey um a a pure hero's journey but you know it's it's 2020 you know to twist these things play on them a little bit i don't know would you guys like it no i didn't like well i liked the first two fine the problem with rise of skywalker is it felt i i got the impression that it was almost People spent too much time on the internet reading what everybody thought about Last Jedi and Force Awakens, and I feel like they were almost got so nervous that Palpatine coming back and all this stuff, it almost had that video game feel. Nothing slowed down, nothing stopped. I didn't necessarily think there was anything wrong with the dialogue, but it didn't seem like they trusted the characters or anything like that. It it stopped feeling like a movie, and it felt more like the fan service thing you were talking about, that like everybody seemed so hesitant and they were undoing things that happened in the last movie. I'm not saying the last Jedi was the greatest movie ever, but if you're going to go that route, own it and then, you know, go on. And to me, rise of Skywalker didn't give me any of those sort of feelings, those mythic, simple qualities you were talking about that come into Mandalorian where everything, everything can have a small tweak and we can set this up here. And later everything was set up and like resolved within five minutes, you know, Kylo Ren can destroy entire galaxies, but he gets redeemed because he likes a girl, you know, (laughs) (laughs) 
that's what happens with most most guys, right? I mean, that happened with Darth Vader too. So I think we're kind of hanging on to the same. Well, I think it was done with more nuance and and artistry. I think the lack of the artistry, it's not that things happen. That's sort of where someone who is a purist maybe has a problem is I didn't want that to happen. I just wanted it to happen as if it wasn't a third grader drawing on an Etch-a-Sketch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Or or just having Palpatine say, I have a thousand Death Star. You know, it felt like two kids playing D&D back in the day or Risk when you're like, I'm not going to lose. I'm bringing in the Phantom Army, and I put down 50 ships or, or whatever. It just – it had a sense of silliness. I guess my point is here, because it sticks closer to the Western feel, you have a feeling of stakes. Like the things they have to do, they've got to do with the limited amount of resources. There there are moments where you know someone's going to come in and save them, but it doesn't have that same feeling. You know, There's a sense of surprise. I, I didn't feel like there was much a sense of surprise in any of the last three Star Wars movies, and I didn't think they were remotely – as good now maybe technically speaking they were but they never engaged me in the same way and i don't know i don't think it's be- just because i was a kid then i mean certainly that's a part of it i just thought as stories if you took out the fact they were star wars they seem to be rather generic story-wise i mean i'm gonna get dumped on here but i think that so do episodes four or five and six if you take away all of the you know the rather ham-fisted aspects of the force and a guy named sky walker i mean like they they are kind of generic stories um but they work and that's why they keep getting remade and remade and remade right well the hero journey i mean we could probably go on it, it, it that doesn't really tie into mandalorian but like the <laughs> the the journey of going to like you know uh Obi-Wan and then we're eventually going to the point where he's now going to go and he's going to meet Yoda and all these things happen well the I think that sometimes people thought they're too clever like we're going to go meet Luke but he's going to be broken down but then he'll be back just fine the next episode is a ghost and he'll help you and <laughs> the bad guy from the other movie is going to come back it's just yes they're simple and generic but the way they're throwing them around like trinkets instead of treating them like plot lines I got gotcha. you yeah yeah there there was and, and it's hard to know that line between like we don't want to rehash the same exact thing again so we're going to do a play on it versus like yeah it's like kids <laughs> with star wars figurines just you know willy-nilly kind of smashing them together <laughs> that's what the last one felt like the kid just po- dumps his toy box out and goes here's my death armada and you're like okay <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Um yeah, to answer Zach, I I had mixed feelings about them. I enjoyed the 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 first two of the newer ones that came out. Um I felt like uh there were certain things in the last one that just uh didn't work more than the others. So I did I enjoyed it, but um I'm hoping that they kind of move on and and start focusing on other things like I can take you know, movies one through nine as, you know, this is what it is and have fun with it. But I'm hoping that they don't continue on with anything within that saga and they just start focusing more on things like this with The Mandalorian where it's in the same world and you're going to run into some of the same characters, but you're not you're not rehashing their stories and delving deeper into those stories. Um, you know, I, I am... Uh, one of the episodes that I thought was great, obviously the, the first one was, uh, fantastic. Just coming in such a strong season opener, uh, Nathan, you and I talked a lot about that, but then coming in and seeing, um, it was actually, I think it was the third one where we got to see more of the Mandalorians and we're learning more about, you know, the group that he's a part of is more kind of an off 
broken cult of what the Mandalorians truly were. And so I really, I enjoyed that and enjoyed them kind of starting to prod and, you know, challenge him in his thoughts and views, even, you know, taking off the helmet. And we see him doing more and more of that where he's like, you know, maybe this isn't critical to my code. Um, yeah, let's pretend that that's character development and not prima donna actor demands. <laughs> uh, but it worked, you know, it worked. Yeah, and, I uh, you know, I thought I thought it uh, it was good. And one of the things that I that I enjoyed is that, you know, we kind of had a little bit of a resolution in season two, but it's it's like season one where we know there's going to be a lot more going on uh, right now. Um, and again, we said we're in, you know, spoiler alert. We end with um, him having control of the dark saber. Uh, and we know that there's got to be something that's got to happen in order for Bo-Katan to take it and reclaim control over Mandalore as the ruler. And so, uh, you know, we we see a resolution, but we know there's more coming. And so, you know, what they did with season one going into season two, you know, I'm excited to see where they're going to take season three and how they're going to bring all of the dynamic together at that point. Um, for the third one. Um, but I, you know, so I think that third episode was my, was, uh, one of my favorites in just the more of the development. And again, I had a lot more of the background having seen rebels. And so seeing those characters come in was really exciting and seeing that they're going to do more with them and, and, and what's going to happen with that, um, I think is great. So, uh, Nathan, I don't think you ever answered what your favorite was. No, I just started ragging on Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I chose to do with my time. He used uh, his turn. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to forfeit and just... No uh, say for you. <laughs> but um, the, the thing is, I think that outside of the last one, I do think it was the first one that was the best because of Olafon, because of, again, that epic... Set, like, the battles and things that were happening there are the kind of things you'd want to see in Star Wars and the scale and the effects were as good as anything in any of the movies. I think like yes. that attack mm-hmm. with the worm and the, and the logistics of the battle. And then even taking something like the sand people, which we, we, you know, the sand people you see for a handful of seconds in probably the entire series altogether, you know, and, but they're always one of those kind of things. It's cool. It's a neat flavor. So to even have them there for any extended amount of time and to build on that Western motif with them sort of being, the indigenous people and things like that. I thought it was just done very, you know, it felt like a pure Western. That one episode felt like everything that George Lucas was trying to do back in the seventies with star Wars initially, you know, that when you look at those sons on Tatooine and you wonder about what's beyond the horizon, like you imagine these sorts of things and they nailed that. I think I really, the thing I like is that like Jack had said, they built this stable of new characters that you are interested in, even when you, and then I don't mean this as a joke, but even when you can't necessarily remember their names, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't, I, I just keep calling Apollo Creed. What is, <laughs> what is, uh, it, you know, uh, Carl Weathers character's name. I don't necessarily remember, but I like it when he shows up and, you know, uh, all I know all is those, that he likes stew. Yes. Right, like, let's get a stew on. Yeah. Well, there was an episode, I think the first season where he's stirring something and, you know, I must have said it a half a dozen times. And uh, the, um, the, but the, the, the entire, that entire aspect is the, where the show is focusing. And this, and if I had some issues with some of the more recent, it's that idea that when, a, when one of the old characters comes in, it's like, we don't know how to balance the new characters we're building 
with the old ones. You know, we have this character, you know, Finn's a character and then he's kind of not a character anymore, you know, and here they always kept the focus on the new character so that when you had those moments that were probably cool for people who knew who Ahsoka and these, and, and of course we know who Boba Fett is, but they made them as they didn't cost us anything. We got to have that moment. Like when the, probably one of my favorites was the Boba Fett episode when he just, you know, he just takes everybody out and then makes sure he blows the ship up as it's flying off into the horizon. I'm not a big Boba Fett fan. I never understood why everyone latched onto a guy who never says really anything <laughs> and is sort of in the background of the entire series and then sort of gets eaten by the desert stomach. You're like, OK, I guess he's kind of cool. But they gave you a reason to care about him in the future. You know, you gave him a reason in that one episode. It made me realize, oh, I kind of do care about Boba Fett. And I like that they weren't, you know. The, the prequels are movies that people have lots of issues with, and I, I have issues with them too, but I like that they're not afraid to go back and build into that mythology of the clones. You know, they say, okay, that's the way it is, so we're going to yeah. deal with it mm-hmm. the way it is. And I, I think that's what made that episode so good. Plus, Tamara Merson was doing an awesome he, – he's giving him a different feel. Like, this is a different Boba Fett. I mean, again, it's not like he was a well-sketched-out character, but this is a different guy. He's got different goals now. Mm-hmm. And so – Everything they did there is why that scene in the credits means anything at all in the last episode. So for me, it was probably that one. But I do admit that very first episode of season two, it grabs your attention immediately and let you get a different feel for what's happening. Yeah. But what's funny is even though all of us basically just said the first episode, right? The first and the last were the best. I feel like even though I said that, it's sort of like gets better and better through the whole series. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is the, the genius of it. Right, it started because- with like an episode you're like it can't get better than this, and then it ended with one where you're like oh no, it just did. But then somehow throughout <laughs> it's building. Even I don't know. It, it was it was really well done, and it went super quick. Yeah, it, it felt like it was like three weeks that my kid and I were like, oh, it's Friday, let's watch this, and then we're like, wait. It's done. Like it yeah, just- I know. My, my daughter was like had a look of panic in her eyes. So like, <laughs> but the um, I think the thing is is the I think that I can say this, and you know, regardless of the individual quality is the Star Wars world feels richer after the end of these this series, right? Even every season, every eight episodes, I, those those spider creatures on that planet, you know, if there was a, not a, I don't believe it was a throwaway episode, but, you know, people want to say, oh, well, not much happened there. It, it was funny watching the Baby Yoda eat the frog eggs. <laughs> it's dark at the same time. But I like that they're willing to give that little level of, of darkness to it. The um, But those giant spiders were very cool. And, you know, they... They just were, and it was. It didn't excuse itself for being an episode where you. But then, even that scene where you see the two guys fly up, and it's like, wow, this is what the rebellion is now. You know, it's basically moved moved into the bureaucracy of the two yeah. like traffic cops out <laughs> in space. Like, it's fun to see that sort of thing, and it goes all the way through. And when you have um, the Ahsoka episode, and I like that you saw what's his name, uh, Hicks from Aliens is yeah. Is uh, the lead, heading up the fortress there that she attacks Michael B and yeah and from Terminator Kyle Reese and he's uh you know that that episode is very cool again I didn't have any kind of connection to that character but within a couple minutes if I had never seen her before and watched her cut those people down in the fog I was I was ready to follow her story yeah you look like you're gonna say something Zach. I do. I, do. <laughs> I was just, it was just rapt attention is what that was. No, I think, well, um, gosh, yeah, I had a thing, but then Bartleboss said more brilliant things and I, I had nothing. <laughs> and I, I, I do want to say that I think that Ahsoka could not have been better. I think nobody could have been better cast than they were. Yeah. Even like 
weird oddball things like Carl Weathers work yeah. perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Get a lot, you know, Horatio Sands and Bill Burr were like, really? What? But, and, 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 uh, Herzog in the first yes. season. Like, yeah. Or, um, oh, good grief. What's your name? Uh, Amy Sedaris. Like, I mean, like, yeah. there, there's, yeah. there's just like rando and you're like, what are you doing? But like, I think John Favreau can't fail no matter how hard he would try. Like he's just, anything he touches turns to gold. He's kickstarted the whole Marvel universe and was like, okay, uh, let me do Disney another humongous favor and keep them on top <laughs> with this thing, which is kickstarting another enormous universe of like, I mean, I saw a graphic of all the shows that are on the slate now, you know, the book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan, blah, 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 blah. And, and uh, he, I don't know. He just, there's something he's got the magic fairy dust. Like he is to movies. What, what uh, Vince Vaughn and swingers is to, to women. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you're, you're so money, baby, and you don't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's too funny. Well, also, also Favreau, right? Involved. Yeah, there. that was that was the uh, too clever by half part of that. Role. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think too, like the you know the brilliance of this stuff. You know, Nathan, you and I talked about this. Marvel. I, I just had some students ask me, you know, what my favorite Marvel movie was. Going back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I said. I think more than a favorite movie, I have favorite moments and scenes. I mean, you, you've got, you know, all, tw- what, 21 movies at this point. Um, and so it's hard to pick out one movie that I think really stands out. And so you've got these iconic moments and scenes that remind you so distinctly of when you were reading the comics themselves. And I think I think a lot of things like that have these feels to them in this story as well. Like you look at each episode and, you know, it was, it was almost kind of like a trick question, pick your favorite one, because realistically they were all so well done and they just, they built on one another in such a way that really could you have the next one without the one before it. Um, and, and so having that, you know, thinking back to, you know, some of these great moments that were in there, you know, like you were talking about Nathan, where Grogu is eating the frog eggs, you know, it's, it's kind of a dark moment, but it's absolutely hysterical when he's doing that. And then, you know, thinking back in that same episode, you know, you have that scene and you and I talked about this where he's like speeding through the desert on Tatooine and he gets ambushed by these people. And, you know, one of in the last runner style. Yeah. And, and one of the last thing he does is like, you know, he hands over the jetpack and then he just, you know, hits the button. The guy goes shooting up in the air you know, and comes crashing down and he just kind of looks at Grogu and shrugs and, you know, it's just, it, there were moments like that throughout that just really did it. You know, you have that, that scene where they're breaking into the Imperial, um, Imperial warehouse and, you know, they're, they're both sitting down. Um, he's got his helmet off and they're having a conversation with the high level officer and like, you know, taking moments that are, um, comical and then you know they take a moment like this where they're building in like tension and you can see the tension there where something's going to happen someone's going to explode um, and, it, and it finally happens and so just everything coming together to work out to build on what was done before really just it makes it so enjoyable and then we do finally get to the season finale where all of this stuff is coming to a head um, you know they end 
the uh, second to last episode. Well, the to, way, just real quick, Nathan, just yeah. to go back because of how they like seeding in all that little information that's going to come up later. How about the fact that in that episode he takes his helmet off and he basically scans and it's like, oh, the Empire recognized him. Right. You know, his hel- there's that moment like, okay, well, that, you know, it sets up a whole backstory story, but it's a passing thing. And suddenly you think about it later, like, wait a minute. Right. I, I kind of assumed that that was just a weak plot point that, like, it had to have, in order to grant you any access, it had to, like, your any face would unlock it. Like, it had to store your face to associate that image with what you did on the mainframe. Because I, I guess when they gave the backstory and he was like, what, four or something when he became a foundling or, I don't know, 12? I, it, kids, yeah. you know, I don't know. Uh, but, but, like, he was so little that there wasn't really room in his life to have been anything to the empire. He was on Mandalore. He was training. He, you know, this is the way all the way until now he's 38 or whatever. And, and I don't know. That was, I, I, I look, I talked about that with my kid afterward. Like what was your read on that? And he was like, I, he thought the same thing. Like it was weird that you just needed to have a face. I guess, yeah. the, you know, you've got this whole place just full of stormtroopers. You have to have some security. So you take off your helmet. Yes. It, and I guess my read, you. My read was different, wondering if he hadn't had some kind of previous run in in between the youth and now, because you're right. Like, that's kind of a weak plot point that we recognize your face and how many pounds and years later they're going to recognize the DNA of it. <laughs> I thought it was almost more like uh, I think it's the, the TV show Serenity or uh, not Serenity, Firefly, where at one point they're breaking into somewhere. And then one character reveals that he has credentials that no one knew about because of some previous i you know i i looked at it that way but you probably maybe it is a weak plot point where they're just like we know your face from when you were a kid but um they certainly could use it if they wanted to and i wonder with this with the storyline heading towards the reluctant king who can take back mandalore and now that he has learned to fight for something he cares about whether or not there'll be this revelation that he's had some previous association of some kind with the empire hmm Interesting. Fan theories abound. Man, I want to just point out, Nathan, that when someone asks what your favorite Marvel movie is, there's literally only two right answers and then like one. Four, two, and Iron Man 3. I'm going to punch you in the throat. (laughs) But but from what I understand, you won't even feel it because your neck beard will just absorb the punch. It'll be, yeah. (laughs) No, the right answers are Iron Man 1 and Winter Soldier Alternate possibilities are Captain Marvel and uh, neighbor Ragnarok. If you have a weird personality, I don't know. Spoken like a true Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Well, I could, I couldn't give him an answer, so I'll have to remember yours and bring it back to him. Um, But Roger Corman's fantastic four. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Was that wait? Was that the one where uh, is that the newer one or the or the first one with Chris Evans is the Human Torch? No, it wasn't even that. It's the one they made in '94 and had no intentions oh, of releasing. They made it just to keep the rights. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. Yes. Can you watch that on YouTube or something? You can find it. I think there's actually a oh, there's a documentary of it on uh, Amazon called Doomed: The Story of the Fantastic Four. I am watching that as soon as we are done here. <laughs> I will warn you because I I thought about watching it with my kids and it's not that the it's not so much that the content is bad, but the, when people get really frustrated, they just start dropping uh, swears. When they're like, ah, man, okay. I, I wasted my career on this bleeping movie. <laughs> kind of deal. That's and a Roger Corman, 20th Century Fox, yeah. <laughs> then there's Roger Corman saying stuff like, I never promised anyone it would be released. <laughs> <laughs> 
We just make movies here. By the way, <laughs> just to build my own cred, I got to hang out with, uh, for a whole week, the main stuntman who did all the Captain America stunts in uh, Civil War, um, uh, Winter Soldier, and the first, I think the first Avengers one. Uh, oh, because nice. he was the the stuntman for uh, Shamgar in the movie that that I was involved in uh, making for Gibrim. Yeah, uh, called which is out by the way on Christmas Day, um, which is called uh, Hold the Pass. Where, uh, where, he, where is it? Yeah, out? where, can, He's a where you can get it? Uh, go to Gibrim dot com. G i b b o r i m dot com. Uh, they haven't. I don't think they've secured the streaming deal going forward. So they're. I think they're showing it on Christmas Day and a couple other times. Okay. Where you can watch nice. Gibberum.com? Yeah, well, it's a Hebrew word pronounced Gibberim, but uh, the, the guy who created it says Giborum. So I try and to split were, the difference. Yeah. <laughs> and you were kind of consultant on that, right? Is that kind of... Not even... I, I don't even know what I was. I was there. <laughs> I, was, I was there Observer. for all of it. I got... Like all my like, there were there were all these guys who paid. They bought their own plane ticket. They paid for their own equipment, like the costume and everything. And I was bunking in with them. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm getting paid for this actually. And I I got flown out here. And like, <laughs> so it was a weird thing. I was technically the the script supervisor, but I didn't do what a scripty would normally do, or I'm keeping track of all the continuity. I was kind of a sounding board for ideas and stuff. But yeah, that guy looked like if you can imagine. Uh, 1% less handsome Chris Evans. It was him. Uh, and man, he did some crazy stunts. And he he was happy to talk about stuff in the Marvel movies that he'd done. Uh, like sliding down in the, uh, what are those called? Those those like satellite things that were going to go up and just shoot people with guns. Um, in, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, uh, the helicarriers. Yeah, there were all these all these like alternate helicarriers that were just weaponized uh, and like sliding down and doing all this stuff. And he was like, "Yeah, I almost broke my back." And like all the, it, was, it was really interesting to to hear all the backstories on this stuff and to watch the way these guys work. They're they're just hard hard workers, and it's so funny how these guys who get all the screen time, you know, just step aside and somebody else comes in and doesn't get any of the glory and takes all the risk and bangs up their body and does all the coolest looking stuff. And everyone's like, oh, wow, Chris Evans is amazing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, we, know, me, we know intellectually it's not him. Let but me be Thor's stunt double on the last uh, Infinity War movie where he, where he was so overweight, he just sort of walked around. <laughs> <laughs> well, held the, held the, uh, the uh, hammer in his hand. They just call that a body double. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do that. I can eat the pie. <laughs> That was such a sad subplot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Everyone's laughing, and I'm like, this isn't funny. <laughs> right when his mom's talking to him, and he knows she's going to be dead, and people are like, ha-ha, she's yeah. making fun of his weight. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Insult to injury. Oh, man. Anyway, are we talking about this this uh, finale, finale or <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. All right, start us off, Zach. Okay, so I said to my son, this is the best episode of this whole series so far. About halfway through, I paused it, turned to him and said that. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's only half done because it was a nonstop freaking ride where the stakes went up and up and up and the holy crap factor went up and up and up. And when that when they were like all of a sudden the the dark, what are they called? Dark troopers, dark. Yeah, the dark troopers. Yeah. Like stopped advancing and turned. And you're like, what happened? Who's here? Who, who just showed up and you know because it's the finale it's someone important 
and, and my son called it. He's like, guarantee that's Luke Skywalker. And I was like, I don't know, man. I think it might be, you know, like some try, attempt to try and like direct. Yeah. 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 Or, or, or push us toward the, the new movies, you know, trying to give them more credence. Uh, some of these new characters, you know, is it going to be some attempt to like tie Poe or somebody in earlier? Um, and it, it, it worked out. I thought I want, I want to put a pin in the CGI and whether it's uncanny Valley or not. I thought story-wise, yeah, it's whoever wrote it and, and the way they paced it, it worked. It really didn't feel like, Oh, give me a break. Mm-hmm. It's Luke. One thing that I thought they were going to do, uh, which they haven't done much yet of. And, and when Nathan talks about like the, the like chips patrol aspect of the new Republic now, they haven't really given us any hints as to, you know, there's a cracked video that says basically everyone in, in that galaxy wants to be under the boot of someone strong. Otherwise, how come every time they defeat evil, it's like 25 minutes before the next big evil rises up and everyone right. rolls over. But like, how do we get from here to the, the first order? Like I, there's, they should show some cracks in the structure, you know, a little, a little chink in the armor here and there as, as they're doing it. But that's not the project, but like the moment I saw Luke, I would, I, I freaked out. I was like, I was like swiping at the air and, and Calvin's like, are, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm more than okay. Like I, I thought it looked perfect. I wouldn't have wanted even to look more real. It looked unreal. It's surreal. And it was a surreal moment. And, and then I had heard that there was an after credit scene. So I kept watching that also like being back in Boba Fett's, you know, uh, throne room and having a slave girl chained to the self same thing. I was just like, I don't know. There was something about it that made me feel like a kid again in the best way without making me feel like I was like, sometimes I'll, I'll pop in the old Ninja Turtles from the late eighties, early nineties yeah. show and watch it. <laughs> Makes me feel like a kid again, but in like a way where I feel like an idiot for doing it. <laughs> it made me feel like a kid again in a good way. while also being like, here's some good storytelling and frankly, better action sequences than any of the movies better i mean just solid solid uh practical and cgi effects everything was just spot on and that finale that could have been the end of the the whole i mean obviously i'm sad that baby yoda's gone but like we've all alluded to it was starting to get a little stale they had to change it up a bit and now i don't know something about him walking around with this dark saber and this spear that can puncture anything and not having his ship, but now having his eyes set on that planet felt bigger than almost any movie or television show I've watched in years. It had this had this huge scope to it that it didn't have to be like, here's a flyover of a massive, you know, like expanse of, of space city. It just something about the mythology of it made it feel bigger. And. Uh, man, I can't wait to see what they do with it next. And my expectations are through the roof and I fully expect them to be met. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, I was, so my, my brother, um, we're huge star Wars family, uh, huge star Wars fans in my family. And so my brother, uh, who is older than I am, I'm, I'm in school. We're finishing up the last day of school and my brother, I'm, I'm in there cleaning up my room. My brother texts me. He's like, 
episode was so freaking awesome. Like direct quote, just exclamation point sends that to me. I'm like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm going to see it when I get home. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It was amazing. Best thing I've ever seen. Uh, you know, and so I get home and, uh, unfortunately joy had to go out later that night, but she was like, you can go ahead and watch it. It's fine. So, <laughs> um, so I put it in and watch it and I'm just, I'm there like on the edge of my seat the whole time. Like every, everything from start to finish, just seeing, you know, immediately they go in, they grab the scientist dude that we know, and then they start planning how they're going to, you know, get on this ship and get the kid back. Um, everything from the diversion of them getting into the, the destroyer to, you know, the, the resolution with uh, Moff Gideon. It just it all just worked and paced itself out so well. Like like you were talking about, Nathan, earlier there. I've never felt once throughout this series that they were in a rush to get to something or to do something. They, they don't feel the need to, you know, uh, just say, hey, we're going to we're going to gloss over this and, and, and move forward. Everything is just paced out just so well in each individual episode, so much so that when you look at the episodes, it's not a straight up 45 minutes or 30 minutes or, you know, whatever. Each episode has its own different time uh, that it runs. And so. You know, they have this story that they're finishing up and they, they tell it in 46 minutes or whatever it is. And and it just all works. It all closes itself out. You know, Zach, you were talking about, you know, the CGI of Luke. And, and again, by the time he gets there and he's taking off his hood and he's talking, um, it's like, I don't I don't care. Like, this is this is what I want to see. I wanted to see, you know, Luke, three, you know, this is roughly three years after. Uh, Return of the Jedi. And so this is what he's become and developed as a Jedi. And it was just, it was great to see that and see um, all of these things kind of closed down and, and, you know, Grogu's going to go off and he's going to do his training, whatever that's going to look like. And the Mandalorian's going to go off and hopefully try to help reclaim Mandalore. And, and those, that's the story I'm excited to see. And I'm excited to see how they're going to intersect them and bring them back together as well. Um, you know, not a missed moment. And then again, giving us that preview for the book of Fett, um, you know, really it's just, it's building up more and more. And the actors that they're getting to come in and do all these things, you guys have mentioned that, you know, not a throwaway actor, even, even John Linguizamo, um, you know, very first episode, like, you know, had almost nothing to do, but it was just, it was perfect. It was a perfect setup and it worked so well, um, you know, getting us through. So yeah, I, I agree. It's just, uh, absolutely amazing. Nathan. So I'm kind of counting on this being the reality where, uh, you know, little Grogu accidentally kills young Ben Kenobi in a training accident. <laughs> You know, early, early on. So we can Otherwise, probably Ben kills him. <laughs> yeah, mo- yeah, yeah, indeed, most likely. Uh, so, um, but yeah, it was the other thing I was thinking as we were all talking here that, and I'm sure that, you know, there might be, there's some things you see and like, ah, did that work completely? Maybe not. But there, had, there hasn't been, at least as far as I can remember, in the two seasons we've had of The Mandalorian, which I can't say for literally any of the other Star Wars movies. There were no, for me, there were no eye roll moments. You know, I think the Star Wars has always been a certain amount of mixed bag that even, as that kind of alluded, you go back to New Hope, 
a, a line of dialogue that just falls dead as a doornail, you know, or or a scene that's just like really. And then the prequels, you know, George Lucas throwing everything at the wall. There are moments. I think there are great excellent moments in every single star wars movie but some of the star wars movies the ratio ain't so great sometimes between <laughs> cringeworthy <laughs> eye roll and brilliance and they're usually mixed in together but i guess that's the thing here if for mandalorian there was no moment that just took me out with that silly you missed the mark on that you know there might be something where i thought hey you could have maybe developed that a little more or you could have done this but they seem to like i feel like He's bringing these different directors, but of course, Favreau clearly has his hands tightly on this vision, I think. And mm -hmm. so you can see th that last episode was so perfectly in the way it was structured and it could reference old Star Wars things without having to reference them in a capital. I'm going to say this name six times so you remember what it is. And that moment, and yeah, my kids called it to my daughter the minute the X-Wing flew by and then you saw... Uh, Grogu's ears perk up like that was that not just brilliant moment of like yeah, maybe it is Luke because who's in an X went you know and when he comes in and he walks out of the the steam and the lightsaber lights up identically to Darth Vader coming out of the darkness at the end of yeah. Rogue One like <laughs> exactly mimicking that that's when you're like okay they know exactly what they're doing and you sit there and you think this is how I wanted to see Luke Skywalker come back you know the reality is nobody really I think any fans of the story whether you're a mild fan or a major fan you wanted Luke Skywalker back. You didn't really want Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford or Carrie Fisher. They were the actors. But the the, the mm. thing, the payoff we or the the trade off we got when those movies came back is we had to deal with them being old and broken down a little bit. And so they were trying to find ways to deal with that. But this, like you said, I'll take the Uncanny Valley to have the fantasy version of Luke Skywalker in his prime, doing things that we literally have never seen him do before. He was not that Jedi in any of the first three movies, and he certainly wasn't that Jedi in the last three. So you see him in a in a way that was only maybe ever talked about in the books or comics or anything like that. When he comes in and wipes all those people, all those droids out, and he's literally crushing them with his, you know, his force <laughs> crushing them to pieces. Sweet. You never saw Skywalker do anything like that in the old. The closest is maybe when he, you know, he's fighting the Rancor or something, and he's still coming into his own, you know, in those movies. So I thought, wow, they visualized something perfectly, just like that crate dragon in the first episode. Visualize something perfectly that there were always little references to, but you never actually saw it. Because if I saw it, how could it be as cool as it is in my imagination? Yet they kind of did that. Nathan, I got to uh, uh, beg to differ here. What I really wanted to see was a, a kind of grizzled old Mark Hamill squeezing the teat of a monster and then drinking the sludge that came out. But you already got that. You've been satisfied for years. <laughs> Real satisfied. No, I, I want to know how they um, – I know, I know how they unage people. I mean, and they can do it better than they did here. Like, look at yeah. freaking Sam Jackson in, in Captain Marvel. But, like, how did they make his voice not sound like somebody who, like, chews and swallows broken glass every 20 minutes? <laughs> like, like, he sounded like he did when he was young. I was like, wow, he, he's either really talented and able to, like, do that or they had some digital trickery involved. It, definitely the digital trickery. But I wonder if it wasn't a case of them taking – fragments that they have of his voice when he was younger and Matt, you know, I, oh, when they say Mark Hamill voiced him, I wondered about that too, though, but that's because to me, that'd be a perfect behind the scenes. I'd be literally yeah. interested to see how they, they did that because in most other cases um, it's a similar, and I don't know, it wasn't quite as, you know, these things are only ever partially successful. I remember when they brought 
uh, Grand Moff Tarkin back in in Rogue One. It's the same kind of deal. It's like that looks like a Peter Cushion stand up, you know. But uh, it, it kind of works. It works enough that we get the illusion, and that was about all it needed to do. Speaking of the of of the villains and stuff. I do have to give a shout out. I think Giancarlo Esposito is really good as as Gideon, as Moff yes. Gideon. You know, yeah. he's, he's always very, good. yeah, yeah. He, you're right. He's good in everything he does. But here, he gives a character that's probably one of the more nuanced kind of Star Wars bad guys. Because Star Wars bad guys are always like, I'm going to blow up ten planets, you know, or I'm going to do, I'm going to do something really, really heinous. And this guy is more of a, you know, he he is closer to that Grand Moff Tarkin, but he's not. He's he's more he's got the slimy, but he's also got the conniving. And I really appreciated that they didn't kill him only because I kind of still want to see him. And I wonder, I think there could be promise if they have to keep him around for whatever purpose, you know, not that he becomes a good guy. But if he becomes the like, you know, I guess the lost in space analogy, be the Mr. The Dr. Smith, if he's got to be the guy that they have to keep around and he's just sort of there, you know, and he's grudgingly working with them then I think that could be compelling. I don't want to see him leave the show, per se. I wanted to see half his face get blown off by a wheelchair bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Is it just me, or does that guy, ever since Breaking Bad, he just plays (laughs) the same character every time, and everyone loves it. Before that, when you see him in a movie, you're like, whoa, that's so completely different. I saw him in uh, The Last Holiday with Queen Latifah and LL Cool J. mm -hmm. And he was like, hello, sister. And then I saw (laughs) him in like, uh, what? Like some Eddie Murphy movie from the 80s. um, And and I was like, wait a minute, that guy. And and, and he was was always like completely, he was changing who he was all the time. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, this is what people want? Here you go. I'm still silent and evil until I suddenly (laughs) lash out and do something crazy. And that guy, (laughs) how old do you think he is? He can move, man. That fight which we rewound twice so we could watch it three times, was amazing. Yeah. Dude, I mean, amazing. And think about this. His, this seems like, like, like lazy, but it's not. He's wearing armor on part of his body, not all of it. So he's still you know, vulnerable in a way. Fighting a guy wielding a weapon that can cut anything but the armor that he's wearing, but he also has a spear that then is made of the same stuff that could, I mean, it was just like, this couldn't be any more uh, epic than it, than it is right now. <laughs> yeah. And these two guys are the, there was just, they, they the walls built, could have started moving towards each other. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think that uh, they need to bring him back around as the main bad guy, not this next season, but the one after people are going to demand it. I don't want to see him come back as like the, Okay, I guess we have to put our differences aside, guy. I feel like that's – And that's not what I mean. I mean kind of the guy who's constantly – you know, if he's still in their custody, so to speak, the guy who's always conniving, how do I get out of this, but I'm not at a place to lead or command an army. You know, uh-huh. that can be – the villain without his resources. Okay. Yeah, however we can take him, I'll, I'll take it. He's good. I got to tell you guys something. At, at 45 minutes ago, I texted Dutcher and said, uh, here's the Zoom address – I almost did that too. <laughs> you, should, you should, hey, play as Bombas. And he didn't even get me back. He's just, he's ignoring us. So that's disappointing. I almost did the same thing when he said, wouldn't it be funny? It's probably like Nathan's like looking at his phone too. To see if it... But I got to tell you, I'm pretty sure that he probably uh, saw the, because the, the thing that you sent, it had the whole URL with the password. Yeah. But the password would cut off, and then it had the password beneath it. And I was like, ah, Dutcher's not going to be able to figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he needs Nathan Bell for. 
<laughs> Guys, oh, this man. has been fun. I got to uh, I got to go. Um, and let me leave with this. No one has. No, not no one. There have been two people who have been perfectly cast, perfectly cast to play pre-existing characters. Mm-hmm. One is Johnny Bernthal playing the Punisher. Maybe three. Two would be in that same series, uh, The Kingpin. Yep. Uh, yeah, D'Onofrio. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Perfect. <laughs> and then three would be Rosario Dawson as, as Ahsoka, which is a character people have not seen in live action but have been waiting for for decades. Yeah. And she just walked onto the screen and owned it. And, um, I mean, just from a completely uh, un- uninvested, cool – collected detached point of view but for my wife that is the most beautiful woman on earth and uh to throw her in the thing with the weird like snake extensions off her head didn't make her less attractive i don't know what that says about me but i gotta go <laughs> before, really nice talking to you real, guys again real quick yeah. before you head out zach if you do like um and this is for the audience too if you do like um you know some of that behind the scenes stuff they did a whole uh eight episodes uh for season one behind the scenes how they did some of that yeah, stuff directors talking actually it was a fantastic series uh, fantastic episodes if you want to go ahead and take a look. I'm hoping they do it for season two as well because it was so, so well done and so good. So check that out if my, you get a chance. My kid and I agreed that we didn't want to see like the animatronics behind Baby Yoda. We just wanted to think of him as a real thing. Very <laughs> <laughs> quickly, when, when Werner Herzog was doing the season one, I, Favreau or one of the directors said it was so weird because Herzog would start talking to the Baby Yoda puppet and giving it directions and say things like, oh, yeah, it's like he was, he would talk to it and be like, look over here. He says, very, very bizarre. He's a weird guy. That's what he's famous for. <laughs> right. Uh, hey, this is the insane asylum for people who went crazy on the line. <laughs> people have not bought it because yes. it is uh, haunted and creepy. All right. I got to go. All right. See you, Zach. See you, Zach. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, Nathan, you know, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here soon. We do. We did want to get this one out. It has been a while. Stuff has happened, and you and I have both been uh, super busy, but we're hoping that, uh, you know, our plans for wanting to jump into the new year and kind of revamp some of the things that we're doing uh, are still there. We still want to do it, um, and we're hoping that, you know, we'll have an opportunity over Christmas break at some point to kind of hash things out and get things ready. Um, but before we, you know, sign off and all that, uh, Nathan, did you want to go ahead? Did you have anything else you wanted to add to all this? Um, not, 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 uh, not too much. I will, you know, I, I didn't say too much about the last scene of the, the credit sequence mm-hmm. and, you know, that whole Boba Fett thing. I think that'll be very interesting watching him. And again, the end there where, the Mandalorian now sort of has the dark saber and yeah, he could give it to Bo-Katan, but you get the idea that that's not really in the cards, you know, that this is really to set up this, uh, again, the sort of, um, wandering warrior who now is going to be thrust into this King, this Kingship, which again, you kind of had the Conan, the barbarian element. And I thought I was thinking that is that was happening. And I guess if for people who, who who watch a lot of sci-fi, that sort of even more specific, which was taking it from Conan the Barbarian, was uh, the the Riddick series, you know, the Pitch Black series. I don't know if you ever saw that, um, yep. Nathan, with Vin Diesel. And, you know, I think it's the Chronicles of Riddick. He acts, he, he's the guy who kills the the head of whatever the, the army is, and he's now suddenly the king 
uh, you know, which they did nothing with when they went right. to the third film. But but whatever, uh, it was still a plot point. And so it was interesting to have that and then literally have this credit scene come in and and visually reference the end of Conan the Barbarian when he sits down on that throne after kicking like post-COVID weight you know, yeah, Bib Bib Fortuna. Fortuna or whatever. There, I was like, man, I feel your pain. I and know. He kicks him out into the floor. Um, it was like that was that was pretty uh, interesting. But then, then this idea that this was the show that they we've been talking about a Boba Fett spinoff, but to give it a title and everything, and sort of underscore it that hey, it's coming out relatively. You know, I liked that they did that on top of the other two shows they've already announced. Yes. So yeah. Um, but again, I think this is where Star Wars is most interesting is they're build, they're delving into the world. They're taking a look at these sorts of things and they are. Uh, and, and again, I think the only, you know, I would, we joked earlier in the year when somebody mentioned that they would re and I know we've talked to some people like the, the new series, it's fine, but I, it, you know, they joked that the, the, the old series or the new series exists in an alternate universe, but I wouldn't be that broken up if that's what happened here. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we get a whole different, yeah. <laughs> it, it, well, because this idea is that this, these, these storylines and threads keep going, you know, it isn't that hard to account for the elements of the prequels with leaving behind the dopiness and silliness of the prequels. Right. You know, you can right. deal with the clone wars and the Kimoni, the Kimonians and all of that stuff. And those are relatively decent plot points and you don't lose, you know, you can deal with those without having to, to learn any more about Gungans if you don't want to, right. you know, or yes. things like that. And so that I appreciate, but it's going to be hard going forward not to run into this goofiness of, well, where's the emperor's hiding out on this planet? You know, like yes. yeah. all of these random plot points that were pulled out of the limbo will be things that this show's got to jump over if they ever want to reconnect to it. They don't have to reconnect to it. They can leave it where it is. But, you know, if we if it goes a different direction, I I would have been kind of actively against the idea of having a show that's about, you know, the alt, another alternate reality where this didn't happen is as dumb as I thought some of the things that happened in there are. But if that happens here, I think I would be okay with it. Right. Honestly right. speaking. <laughs> Yeah. And and one of the things that I would be I'm going to be interested in seeing is, you know, and, and I was I was actually thinking this because I had just gone back and rewatched the Star Wars Rebel series that Bo-Katan got the dark saber because it was handed to her by Sabine Wren. Um, she she literally, you know, abdicated the throne to her. And so, you know, it's it's intriguing. And, you know, Dave Filoni was involved in uh yeah, uh, the the Rebel series as well. So I'm intrigued to find out how he's going to explain, and I hope he does because for you know for a fan that that's you know seeing the series and seeing the correlations and connections, um, I want to know why is it that she could take it from Sabine and you know rule Mandalore, but she can't take it from him. Um, you know, is there something going on that was missed? Um, you know, well, and yeah, did she fight him? I, I don't, I don't remember. So I, a rebels, I don't know if I ever saw all of it, honestly. Um, yeah, no, or, uh, I, it's been a while. Yeah. Sabine just, you know, literally handed to her and said, you're the rightful ruler. Here it is. And gave her the dark saber. So there was no battle or contest in order for her to get it, to get it. So, um, you well, know. I wonder if there's some kind of nuance in that element of the acknowledgement 
You know, like yeah. the, like he says here, you can have the thing, take right. it. I don't want it, but he doesn't actually say you're the rightful ruler. Yeah, like yeah. we don't really. It's it, he he does it almost in a moment of, uh, you know, it. it yeah, it's I not, I want nothing to do with this. You take it, <laughs> be gone. Right, and yeah. there's a, you wonder. The other thing that's interesting is, as we were all saying, you see moments of him laying aside his very deeply held beliefs. But there's also a thing that I don't know if we had discussed, because I don't know if it had happened yet in the show, was that we realized that his branch of Mandalorian is really a zealot. Yes, yeah. They're not really the what, what most general Mandalorians are like right now. They're very much these sort of uh, purists, in a sense, that that have held to this very cling, clinging to the old beliefs in such a deep, deeply right, zealous right, way right and you don't think he's aware of that until he meets Bo-Katan and the others and so there's a feeling of yeah I don't want any part of this but I also am been he's been deeply held into this so yeah. it'd be interesting to see where that goes because now he's if he's got any kind of claim and trying to take back Mandalore and he realizes that that's a thing that can be accomplished now mm-hmm. and he doesn't have the driving thing of we've got to protect the kid then there really isn't a lot of reason that he would walk away from this because he isn't Han Solo. He isn't Riddick. He isn't a guy who's just sort of a gun for hire. Right. You know, he has right. a very deeply held code. It's made very clear that um, that Boba Fett doesn't. He has a le- he has a level of a code, but it's more his dad's code. It's right. not his code. Right. He does it out of respect for his father, not out of uh, the deeply held belief that seemingly – uh, Din has. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree. And one of the things again that I'm looking forward to and I think is going to be great is, you know, they were they were able to showcase uh Boba Fett during this series and really get us excited. You know, like you said, you know, we got this character that really um there wasn't too much that was done with him in the initial series. We get more through the clones and now we're really seeing okay, you know, it was mostly through the stories in the books that got us into who the Boba Fett character was and and what he could become. And I think they did a great job at showcasing that even, you know, even that little barroom fight scene uh, that he gets into with the other Mandalorian. Uh, really, we get to start to see him uh, in, in his abilities and what he can do. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting seeing, you know, the book of Fett, like what what are they going to do with him and how are they going to bring this out, bring this warrior out? So looking forward to that. Yeah. And the last thing I'd say about that, I think that it's interesting that, and again, I have, this is someone who's not read any of the books or knows anything really about Boba Fett other than what's presented in the movies. And all he really is in the first uh, three movies is he's a bounty hunter coming from, that's been hired by, uh, by Bo, uh, by uh, Jabba the Hutt to go look for, uh, solo and bring him back, and so that's really it. When they, when, when Lucas again does this deal where we got to tie everything together, and honestly, it seemed kind of dumb when it initially happened. You know, mm-hmm. like having Boba Fett be the or Jango Fett be the 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 template for all of the clones, and then have him show up later in his bounty hunters a random seeming connection. You know, it's just like, oh look, Anakin built you know, C-3PO, like those things never cease to be, feel kind of stupid to me. However, that being said, I think it's worked out nicely because you've had Tamura Morrison as all these different characters. And I think that quality of him being the clone, it's not really, he keeps saying his father 
and someone even makes the comment, well, it's your copy. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or your donor. Copy, not as your son. donor. Yeah, yeah. Your donor. Yes. And so that, that element I think is fascinating now, even though I still hold that it was kind of a boneheaded thing to do initially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess the point is when he comes back, you kind of realize that they had Django aligned with the, um, uh, separatists, you know, the separatists, thank you. In the, uh, in, in the attack of the clones. And so that sort of gives you the idea that, yeah, Django and, and Bobo are maybe aligned with the empire or what will become the empire. But then in re- you realize that, no, he really wasn't, you know, whatever right. his end game was, it was tied to Tatooine. And when he comes back and kills him and takes the throne over the Jabba, you get the idea that he might've been part of a long game, Back when he was still hunt, when he was hunting Han Solo, you know, yes. he was yeah. obviously in the court, so to speak, of Jabba the Hutt, doing things there, and he probably had an end game that he hadn't even completed yet, and he's sort of coming back and and picking up where he left off is what yes. I'm getting the impression of, and so it does give you this kind of big backstory, and then what happened to him? How to get out of the Sarlacc? What kind of person is he now? Does he he is, he seems like a guy who doesn't a like the Empire, right? And b isn't necessarily a ruthless mercenary the way that we kind of expect him to be. Yes. Yep. And you realize that even uh, Jin, the Mandalorian uh, prior to the child could have found himself in exactly the same situation that Boba Fett did in the original series, you know, yes. not necessarily a villain. He's just doing a job. Right. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So yeah, really excited that we were able to do this and, uh, and get on here and talk about this. It was nice having Zach on, um, we're definitely going to look forward to, um, you know, planning out the new year, got the, got some things coming up that we can talk about and do. And, um, you know, want to, want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. This will yes. drop either, uh, today, the 20th or tomorrow, the 21st, but it'll drop one of those two days. Um, you know, but we want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and say, and- you know, uh, uh, go ahead, Nathan. What were you going to say? I was going to say, and we did. Sadly, we didn't get a chance to do a uh, a Christmas Correct. episode. You know, like generally, we were going to try to Greg on, but just things got busy and different things happened. But yeah. uh, I did want to just go out there and plug that to you know this if this is going up today and you know at Sunday, what is it, the nineteenth or the uh, the twenty? What day? What today's the twentieth. Yeah, today's the twentieth. Yeah, the twentieth. I know. I like a Friday. I was like, "Happy birthday, Nathan!" And then I was realizing <laughs> as I typed to you that it was Wednesday. That your birthday was on Wednesday. So I apologize for that. But we'll we're once we're finished quarantining for the holidays, we'll get together and do something for it. Absolutely. But um, but uh, I did want to just plug that you know if you are looking for a holiday for some holiday episode, I just recorded one for uh, we're putting up today. Uh, we have a couple of them uh, for Phantom Galaxy. We did one with a group of guys uh, from Real Talk, and they we were doing uh, Scrooge adaptations of A Christmas Carol. Oh, nice! And so over there, we're going to cover the George C. Scott version. There's a version with Henry Winkler called American Christmas Carol. Yep. We're covering yep. It's a Wonderful Life because one of the guys thought it would be a cool thing to sort of. Uh, compare and contrast them because they are very similar and the Muppet Christmas Carol, which nice. I need a whole new, a whole new appreciation for and really feel is one of the best ones out there rewatching it. Yes. Um, which is also in Disney plus the songs and that, that one are so, so good. Yep. Um, so if you guys want to check that out, it's about, it's like, like everything I do, it's about a two hour episode <laughs> that's going up. We also have one coming up about offbeat Christmas movies. Um, 
and uh, that that's going to be a, a lot of fun. There's some interesting things on there. And then next week we have a two-piece episode that's going to be um, just narrated ghost stories for Christmas. That's great. So um, that'll kind of follow up with the one we did for Halloween. So there's a lot of stuff over at that's Phantom Galaxy at Podbean.com or you can find on Facebook Phantom Galaxy. We're on Twitter as uh, Phantom with an F F A N T O M uh, Phantom Galaxy. And uh, yeah, we just a lot of fun stuff over there. And Nathan, we will do a ninja episode <laughs> as a shout out to. And actually, if you go there, Phantom Galaxy, all of the old pop culture ninja episodes that we ever did are there nice. in the back catalog. So I think nice. we did a couple episodes about Christmas TV and things like that. Yeah, so. yeah. Good deal. All right. Don't forget, rate us on your favorite listening service. Um, even though we're not putting out a ton of content at the moment, um, we will be putting out more and more. We so will if be you back. Haven't, yes. Yeah. If you haven't rated us, go ahead and do that. You know, and even even the backlog of episodes. You know, um, Nathan, we've been uh, doing this uh, TG uh, T eleven. These go to eleven has been going. Um, for five years. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, there is quite a backlog of episodes uh, that you can go back and listen to. So, um, but we will be putting out new content in the new year. So um, don't forget about us. We love you guys and have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, until next time, Nathan, we just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11.